went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also, or the weeds. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up the wheat also with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. This is skipping down a few verses here. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Hello, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you that um, we're alive and that we have the opportunity to look at your word. Father, I'd ask that you would guide my tongue today, that I would not say anything that would be not bringing glory to your word. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and for being the propitiation for our sins, and that your Holy Spirit would bind any evil that might be in this room, and that your word would be fruitful and multiply. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So today, as uh, Jacob was just reading those verses, we're going to be looking at the parable of the wheat and tares. And we've looked at a couple of parables in the past, and as you know, a parable is um, a little short story that Jesus gave and it tries to transmit, tries to communicate a very simple truth. It's not a deep dive into theology. But what's unique about parables is that the true meaning is hidden from the unbeliever. And it's really only communicated and shared with the true believers. And this is a very interesting parable, the wheat and the tares. And when I was looking at this, I I started trying to get an idea of of what this was communicating because it's always been one of those interesting stories. Again, a lot of people have backgrounds in farming and um, I really didn't know what a tare was. And if you look at the King James Version, it's only mentioned like five times and it's all in this parable. So Mr. Google, our friend, we can just go on the internet and bring up all this information. It turns out that tares mimic and they look very similar as they grow to wheat. And the Department of Agriculture did a study over a 10-year period. It's a poisonous seed, by the way, when it comes into its fruit. Over 250,000 sheep died in that 10-year period from this tare. 
It's called um, a darnel seed. And it's the only poisonous seed that's in the bread family, the grain family, as, as understood from some research. And it was very prevalent in Jesus' time in the area of Palestine and that area of Syria. And in fact, the Romans made a law that if you went and spread this seed into your enemy's fields, you could be held accountable and, and have to pay a fine if you were found out. Because in America today, we have these huge corporate farms, thousands of acres, but if you travel into parts of like Asia, a family might have a little strip of land where they have their rice field. And their property is very important, and this food can make or break them through the upcoming season. So it's very important. Now, what's interesting about the Darnell seed is that when it grows, the typical person can't tell the difference. Only an experienced farmer can tell a Darnell from a wheat seed. And the thing about the Darnells, and spiritually speaking, that's a picture of a lot of people in the world, they might be listening to a false preacher. And they may or may not be saved. And if they're saved, if they're a babe in Christ, or they really are not spiritually discerned too much, they can be led off track by that false preacher. But So again, I've said this several times, when you study the Bible, there's the picture story. And then over here, what is God's application of that picture story into our life? And here, a wheat, as it's, the wheat seed, one of the characteristics that it has is it doesn't drive its roots deep into the ground. And as Jacob was reading, the sower in this parable is God, Jesus. The field is the world. So that wheat seed doesn't put its roots deep into the world. That's the story. The spiritual application to the Christian is, are we putting our roots into the world? Are we caught up in our job, in the music, in the culture, in the bad things on the internet? Maybe we're meeting for drinks, we're going clubbing, all of these things. That's the world. The true wheat doesn't go deep into the world. It goes deep enough to sustain life. Now, when that wheat seed comes to maturity, the Bible says you know them by the fruits. And that's when the farmer and the servants and the general public will know the difference between that wheat and that darnel. And the thing is, the wheat, when it gets heavy with its, with its um, fruit, it starts to bow down from the weight. And it's almost a picture of a Christian who's maturing. He's worshiping God. Now that darnel seed, you know what it does? It's got deep roots, and it just keeps growing up and pointing right up to the sun. Full of pride, the picture. Back to our parable. The good seed are the saved children of God. Remember a few months ago we went over the parable of the four soils? In that one, the sower was Jesus, but the, the seed was the Word of God. In this parable, the seed are the Christians. We become the seed. The devil is the enemy sower, and the tares are the lost children of Satan. So we, we're either a child of God or a child of the devil. You're one of the two. Either your father is, is God or your father is Satan. The harvest is the end of the world. Every, you know, every, every, there's always a harvest. There's always an accounting. There's always a, a, a time for... You know, if you're taking in a big harvest, it's, it's a time for joy and, and happiness. If you're taking in a bad crop, 
it's a time for sadness and turmoil and suffering. The reapers in this parable are the angels. And it ends with the tares are burned at the end of this world, the end of this age. So in, in looking at this message for today, I want to make four points. And I'll kind of go through this a little bit quickly. The first point is all Christians are converted tares. We all started out as a tear. And praise God that he's long-suffering and he didn't pluck us out as soon as we're born. He lets us grow. Every one of us, all of us in this room who's a Christian, we started out as a tear. So all Christians are converted tares. The, another thing that, this was a revelation to me as I started to study this. All of us are in the kingdom of heaven. Right now, we're in the kingdom of heaven. And I've read that so many times. And, and I know that, like John MacArthur, he says the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same. There's different camps on this. But we are in the kingdom of heaven today. And that becomes crystal clear. I was raised a Catholic. And every day, we would say the Lord's Prayer. I've said that literally in school thousands of times. And it never hit me until I did this study. If you look at Matthew 6, 10, it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If you're a Christian today, you're in the kingdom. And God wants his will done on earth just as it is in heaven. And his will for you, he has a preordained path, a preordained will for you today. And his will is for you to honor him in his kingdom of heaven, which is here. It's on the earth right now. If you're saved, you're in the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom is in you because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Verse 13, 24 says, Another parable put forth, Jesus put forth, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. The man being God and us being the good seed. Matthew 13, 47 to 50 says, And this is another parable in this passage. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a net. So picture a fisherman. He's in his boat. He casts out the net. Now that net is going to indiscriminately take in whatever fish happened to swim into it. And there's going to be good fish, and there's going to be bad fish. There's going to be the ones you want to keep, and the ones that, you know, like if you got a carp, you don't want it. If you got a nice, you know, a filet, something, you want to keep it. So, it, when the, it says, when the net was full, they drew it to shore, sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, the vessel being a picture of heaven. The boat, they put the fish in the boat, but the keepers go to heaven. And cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. First Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. If you're born under the flesh and you're not saved, your father goes directly back to Adam and your corruptible seed. Jesus was born of the Father. He is incorruptible seed. That's why he's God. He's God and incorruptible seed. When we become a Christian, we're born into his, we're adopted into his family. This verse says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, not of Adam. Jesus were the second Adam, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This earth will pass away. God's word abides forever. 
Let's look at the next verse. This is the second point. The two sores of God, he's good, and the devil, he's evil, and God allows evil in the world. Why? For his glory. As I mentioned to you, I'm reading a book with my son Christian, The Mortification of Sin, John Owen, chapter 12. We did it this week. He made the point that one of the reasons why God allows evil in the world is if there wasn't evil, we wouldn't truly understand even the beginning inklings of the depth of His grace. If we didn't have to be saved from hell, we wouldn't appreciate grace. There's two sores, God and the devil. It says, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. The enemy is the devil. It says, while men slept. How many times do we fall asleep at the wheel spiritually? This is the picture of the guys are sleeping and the enemy sows the field with the tares. But over here spiritually, when we fall asleep, when we let our guards down, Spurgeon said, whenever somebody would come up and say, that was an awesome sermon, right away he knew Satan was after him. Because that was the first way into him through pride. Not that I don't think he rejected the compliments, but his guard went up. He didn't let his guard down. He wasn't taken in by that, by that wow, you're a great preacher kind of compliment. When we let our spiritual guards down, that's when Satan puts in the bad seeds. And we let our, our guards down by when we don't keep consistently doing our Bible studies. Or when we don't pray on a consistent basis. Or maybe we go on vacation and don't go to church. I mean, there's so many ways. None of that's bad, but consistently, it's not good. The Bible doesn't say you're going to hell if you don't pray, but if you don't pray, you know, another Spurgeon quote was, You'd think this guy would be a great prayer warrior. And he was, by the way. But he said, I never pray for more than 15 minutes at a time. Very rarely do I even get like 10 minutes at a time. And you go, wow, this great guy never prayed more than 10 minutes. But he said, I never go more than 15 minutes without praying. So he's constantly connected to God. Proverbs 24, 33, 34 says, Yet a little sleep, a little slumber. I mean, this is talking about somebody who's a, a lazy guy, right? God hates sluggards. But it's also, So shall your poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. This is also in the spiritual realm. If we're a sluggard spiritually, you know when Satan comes? He's that armed man. It's hard to argue with somebody with a gun pointing at you. You kind of have to say, Yes, sir, no, sir. Because you don't want that trigger pulled. And you're not in a strength position of strength. You're in a position of weakness. That's what happens when we become spiritually lazy. Isaiah, here's another thing. Okay, God is allowing the evil in the world. And so many times, oh, that tsunami or 911 or um, God would not allow evil in the world. That must be from Satan. That must be, you know, from the elements. Verse Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create, create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, that's an interesting concept because when you look at, in the King James Version, there's evil is 663 times. I thought it was really close to 666, but it was a couple less. But 
Only 200 deal with the moral evil. The other ones deal with, if you translate the word evil English into Hebrew, over 400 times it translates as calamity, as woe. A calamity would be a tsunami, a earthquake, a volcano, a, a big bad storm. God totally controls that. Now, remember in the story of Job, he allowed Satan to have the whirlwind. But he controlled it. Satan could only go this far. And then you stop. God was still 100% totally in control. Always has been, always will be. So when it says he creates evil, he does. But you have to define the evil. John MacArthur goes and says, there is the calamity evil. There's a moral evil, and that's our sin fits into that camp. And there's another permanent evil. Do you know that in the lake of fire, no attributes of God, no love, joy, and peace, it says in Revelation, he that's filthy will be filthy still. Evil will continue into eternity in the lake of fire. You see there's multiple levels, multiple definitions of evil, and God is still totally in control. The people that go to the lake of fire are for God's glory. You know, all of those people, those several hundred thousand people that were killed in that tsunami several years ago on, in, over in Asia, how do we know some people didn't come to a saving knowledge of Christ? And another thing that MacArthur said, or maybe it was Bowler that said, be careful, Christians, because we always accuse the world of he that calls evil good and good evil, right? Well, we can say that about Obama this past week with this transgender thing. He's making good evil and evil good. But how about us Christians? we got to be careful that we don't accuse God on the wrong side of the coin. Because we can call evil good and good evil really easy. In another verse he said, remember, all things work together for good. All things work together for good to them that are of the Lord. To what? For us Christians. All things. If you have a financial problem, if you have a health issue, if you have a mortgage problem, if you don't like the weather, whatever it is, you've got, your kids are having issues. All things work together for good. And we should never lose sight of that. Never. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Being sober, over here again in the physical realm, it's not taking drugs, it's not drinking. I go into the jails and I talk to the, to the kids. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Roanoke, and there's this one kid that likes to get high. That's why he's in jail, because he gets high all the time. And he, he can't put away marijuana. And I said, don't you know that's hurting your, your, your lungs? He goes, I have an iron lung. You know, that's what 17-year-old kids think, right? And I said, okay. Let's say you had to go in for a heart surgery or a brain surgery or an eye surgery. Would you want your doctor to get high before he did the surgery? No, you wouldn't. Because you wouldn't be, he wouldn't be sober. This verse says, be sober. The next one, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. There it is again. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, Walks about seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he can kill, seeking whom he can eat up and destroy. He's the destroyer, the murderer. He's the thief, the father of all lies. He's a deceiver. Everything he wants to do is bad against you. The Bible says be sober. 
Jude 1.4 says, and this is talking about preachers, for there are certain men crept in unawares, who, listen to this, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be ordained? Brought into the ministry. Brought into the ministry. We think about preachers being ordained, right? But And when you ordain that preacher, don't you want him to have God's unction, God's blessing? And doesn't he typically have a mission to go? Maybe on the missions field. Maybe he's going to be a pastor. But he's being set aside for a purpose. Do you know God sets aside ungodly men and he's ordained them for that purpose? That's pretty scary if you're on that side of the coin. Praise God if, we're, if you're part of the elect which was predestined before the foundations of time. Let's go to the next verse, Matthew 13, 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then also appeared the tares. This is now the time of harvest. The fruit's coming, it's, it's like, if apple season, it's probably the end of August. You know, ready to pick the apples pretty soon. Luke six forty three says, For a good tree brings forth, not, not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruits. So what that's saying is, at the harvest time, you know the wheat and you know the tares. At harvest time, God knows the saved and the unsaved. And as things progress along, at the beginning, you can be, feel, you can be, um, you can be tricked. You can be deceived. Maybe you don't know that's a tear. But as you get closer to the harvest time, as you mature in your walk, now with your discernment, you go, no, that's not right theology. There's something wrong with that. That doesn't ring true. No, that, that's, that's incorrect. Or maybe that pastor is doing things to hurt a church. There's many ways where this verse can be carried out. Luke 6.44 says, Every tree is known by its own fruit. You don't go to a cherry tree and expect apples. It doesn't work that way. For of the thorns, men do not gather figs. I have, I have two fig trees in my yard. One is up on the hill, and it doesn't get... Whenever it rains, the water runs away, and the fig tree gets about this tall. I've got another one. I planted it in a low part of my yard, and all the water runs down there, and this thing gets huge. But guess what? On, the, on these two fig trees, there's no thorns. Thorns don't grow on fig trees. The same way that thorns don't grow on fig trees, good fruit doesn't grow on a bad tree. It just doesn't work that way. Luke 8.15 says, But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. You know, that's one of the qualities of a mature Christian is they have patience. You know, Jacob, was your dad ever impatient when you were little? I mean, yeah, once in a while. He's probably getting more patience, right? I've only seen your dad and your grandfather interact once, but I, I, was, I, I was kind of amazed like your grandfather had patience with your dad, you know? And, and that happens. You know, grandfatherly people 
as they walk in the Lord, they become more patient. And this, is that, this verse is telling us that. If you, if, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, and keep it. That's the difference between an apostate, by the way, and a true Christian. An apostate tastes of the good word and may walk the path for a while, but eventually veers off into left field and never comes back. A true Christian, having heard the word, keeps it. Having heard the word is coming through the narrow gate, the straight gate, which is Jesus. No man goes unto the Father but by Jesus. But keeping the word is staying on the narrow way until you get to heaven. Not the broad way. Many people enter at the straight gate through Jesus. They hear the word, but they never get off the broad way. And they end up being apostates and go to hell. Some people never even get the straight gate. They totally reject Jesus and they're just on the broad way all their life. Let's go to the back side. Matthew 13, 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst, thou, didst not thou sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tares? You know, they're saying, hey, didn't you plant good seed? Why is all this bad poison seed coming forth? Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He is a rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. All his ways are judgment. That's that thing. God is everything God does is in judgment. He judges the good and the bad. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. So all of the seed that's planted by Jesus, us, the Christians, we're the seed in this parable, it's all good. And the flip side is from the devil planting his seed, it's all evil. Romans 16, 17 says, Now we beseech you, brother, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. This is telling us Christians that there are the tares in the world. And when we grow maturely in our Christian walk, God gives us wisdom. He gives us discernment. And he said, mark those tares. Mark them. And stay away. Look at it, it says, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, contrary to the Word of God, contrary to the Scriptures, against the Scriptures, which you have learned. So he's, you know, somebody who just got saved today, they wouldn't have discernment because they didn't learn anything. They're still a babe in Christ. They're still on milk. They haven't matured to, to, to meat, right? They can't eat a steak. They still need a baby's bottle. But when you have learned them, you have learned the doctrines. That's why you need to study your Bible. That's why you need to be Berean, studying your word every day. But when you get to that point and you see the tear, avoid them. Just avoid them. Just That doesn't mean you don't witness to them in the world. But that, that means they're not your best buddy. Because that bad person's influence will rub off on you. It takes... How many bad apples to make the whole barrel bad? 
One. Our pastor up in Northern Virginia with the youth group, he would never allow a bunch of kids to come in once. He would only allow one, maybe two at the most at a time. Because he wanted the youth leaders and the youth pastor to be able to oversee those kids. He didn't want, one, he didn't want a whole bunch of bad apples ruining the good apples. That's what it boiled down to. If that's wisdom, by the way. Okay, the next point here is, let's see, no, Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you? So he's talking to the church at the Galatian church, and he's saying, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Bewitched means like you're under a spell, like you're not seeing the true things anymore. And those are people who are spiritually asleep. I think he's talking to Christians here, for the most part, but these are Christians that have got off into the world. Point three, we know very little about God, because, and this is one of the quotes I got from John Owen, we know very little about God. And he made the point, because it is through faith alone that we know God. Only through faith. If you want to have a, a to know more about God, have more faith. Have more faith. And the definition of faith, I mean, from the Bible, it's faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of not seen. We know that definition. But I heard another definition this week from a pastor, and it's the good 